Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hello and welcome to In Conversation With. Uh, today I'm joined by Ian Lance, manager of Temple Bar Investment Trust. So Ian, if you can give us a bit of a background into yourself and how you got started in financial services. Yeah, sure. Um, I actually uh, actually joined a fund management company pretty much straight from university, actually, oh. uh, which was which was 35 years ago, uh, believe it or not. And I've um, I've worked at various different places. Um, across that 35-year period. Um, most recently, I worked at Schroeder's, where I started working with a chap called Nick Purvis, who is the co-manager of the Temple Bar Investment Trust. And Nick and I have been working together since since 2007. And we joined Red Wheel in 2010. So obviously, have been at, uh, at Red Wheel for 13 years now. Wow. Okay, great. Um, so getting into today's uh, kind of topic, I wanted to touch on um, the story of Next's success uh, that I kind of looked over. So what are some of the key lessons that investors can learn from that success story? Sure. Well, I think th- th- this stems from a uh, a blog that I wrote a few weeks ago. Um, and it, the, the actual topic of the blog was was share buybacks. And Next was the case study that we used. And just, just to give listeners a little bit of background, mm-hmm. the, the, the maths are that if you'd invested £100 into Next in, in the year 2000, today that would be worth £1,800. And the incredible thing is that um, the sales of Next have actually only pretty much grown in line with UK GDP. Mm-hmm. And, and and that really you know that really does blow people's mind. How how could a company have provided you with such an amazing investment, and yet their sales only grown in line with the UK economy? Mm-hmm. And, and the answer really comes back to um, uh, two things: really sensible asset allocation and this issue of share buybacks. And the um, what the company has done um, is that they have repurchased uh, about two thirds of their shares in issue. And what right. that does, it just means that mathematically, although your top line is growing at, I think it was about 4% or so, because obviously you've reduced the number of shares in issue, your your earnings per share grows at a much, much faster rate. So the earnings per share has grown about 15% per annum across that period of time. And, and you know, that that's the thing really that has led to those um, amazing investment returns. Yeah. And you kind of talked about um, sensible asset allocation decisions. Um, So can you expand a bit more on that and the importance of that for companies? Yeah, certainly. So I guess guess if you think about it this way, the... um how how the management of the company that you're invested in allocates capital um, is going to determine the future returns of the business. So if they do a good job, if they e- either invest in, you know, assets or uh, businesses which go on to make a good return, then then that will benefit you, the shareholder, and vice versa. If if they do a bad job, then ultimately that's going to negatively impact you. So so it's it's pretty much the one of the most crucial things that you should look at when you're thinking about investing in a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we take this back to um, 
next they actually did a phenomenal job because that it wasn't a case of they they didn't invest they they did invest um so um i i know this will seem we're all used these days, aren't we, to be able, being able to shop online? Well, if you, if you go back to the year 2000, that wasn't so much the case. It was very much in its infancy. And the CEO, Simon Wolfson, built this business called Next Directory, which is the mm-hmm. online business of Next, which I, I think a lot of people would know now. Yeah. And it, and it was a phenomenally successful business. You know, it, it contributed a lot to Next's um, returns. But then what he also did was um, with any excess cash flow so after he'd invested um in in next directory and whatever other businesses he basically bought back the company's shares as we were talking about a few minutes ago but he would only do that at a time that the shares were cheap so this is something we, we could possibly get onto in a minute is that, that there were times throughout that sort of 20 odd year period when people became very gloomy about the uh, uk economy and and the share price of next fell um, and at that point of time, shares in Next were very cheap. He mm-hmm. used the company's cash flows to buy back those shares and cancel them. Um, and again, so that that you know that benefited shareholders well. So he he's actually a really really good case study of of, of sensible asset allocation, both from the point of view of the the businesses that he invests in, and, mm-hmm. and from this point of view of uh, share buybacks. Right. And going back to, you know, buying back shares. So what are, can you expand a little bit more on what some of the benefits of that are? Yeah, certainly. Um, It's it's important to say that we're not, we don't, we don't think that just buying back shares per se is a good thing um, because we think that some companies buy back shares and it's actually a very bad thing. Mm -hmm. By, by, so, for instance, a lot of the U.S. technology companies are buying back shares at the moment, um, and we think it's a bad thing because they are uh, they're buying back what are very expensive shares. Sometimes they're using debt to do it. Um, mm. Where we where we think share buybacks make sense are number one, if your shares are very cheap, um, and there was um, actually if, if if I could find it, there's a there's, there was a brilliant quote from uh, Warren Buffett who said, when companies with outstanding businesses and comfortable financial positions find their shares selling far below intrinsic value in the marketplace, no alternative action can benefit shareholders as surely as repurchases. So in other words, Mm -hmm. share buybacks. And and what he's saying there is if if your company's got a strong balance sheet, Mm -hmm. if you're only um, using uh, excess cash, so cash Mm -hmm. that you as a business don't need, um, and you're buying back shares that are cheap, that then it's is very beneficial. And you've got, I, I suppose, the last thing you've got to think about is it's very low risk. Right. Going and making going and making an acquisition can be quite high risk, and can be quite high risk because you don't know that much about the business that you're buying. When you mm-hmm. buy back your your own shares, <laughs> you you should be supremely placed, shouldn't you, to know about the business that you're buying because you're buying back effectively your own business. And what yes. you're doing is you're you're, you're just redu- reducing the share count. Uh, increasing the earnings per share. So w- when the shares are cheap, it can be a, a, a very, very attractive policy for the shareholders. Right. And going to that kind of acquisition piece, there's a lot of acquisitions that are happening currently yeah. in the market. And so you talked about, you know, some of the risks there um, in terms of you, you're not entirely sure what you are acquiring, um, yeah. but can you expand a little bit more on um, some of those risks? Yeah, certainly. Um, and, and again, we've written in the past on this on this subject. There's a, there's a lot of evidence that shows that the, the, the statistically the majority of acquisitions um, actually don't add value for shareholders, and and they tend to not add value for a couple of reasons. No, number one is that um, 
sometimes companies will get into a bidding war. So there might be one or two companies trying to go for a company and therefore they they, uh, they ultimately suffer from the winner's curse. In other words, they, they're paying a high price for the assets. Mm. Um, so that's point number one. Um, point number two is just this fact that you, uh, you, you don't really know, as much as you might think you're going to do a lot of due diligence on the company you're buying until you've actually bought it, you really don't know you know, as much about it as you know uh, about your own business. So, so, so there's this this issue of um, uncertainty. I think um, a lot of CEOs underestimate the complexities of putting together two businesses. And anyone who's anyone out there listening who's ever been working at a firm who's merged with another firm will know the enormous complexities of mashing together the IT systems and the staff and, and so on and so forth. And I think often CEOs um, underestimate that. And mm-hmm. then the final thing is that occasionally, uh, in fact, not occasionally, quite often, these debt, these acquisitions will be financed using debt. And when you increase the debt of a business, it just makes it a more risky proposition. It means that we, if you go into a cyclical downturn um, with a with a higher amount of leverage, the impact of that down, downturn is magnified. So there's sort of all, all, all sorts of reasons really why um, acquisitions don't work. And I, and I have to say, you know, over our 35 years of um, managing money, we've seen all sorts of acquisitions um, and, and end up going wrong for shareholders. Right. Um, so for investors, um, what should they consider when evaluating whether or not a company is a good candidate for a share buyback? Um, there are a couple of things. Number one is, um, what, I suppose, what is the state of the balance sheet? Has, has, the, has the business got a good balance sheet? So that's mm-hmm. point number one. Mm-hmm. Point number two is, um, is there excess cash flow? So are they investing in the underlying business but after they've done that they still have um excess cash flows now there, there are there are two things that they can do with that they can well they can pay down debt if they've got too much debt um but but beyond that they can either pay a dividend out to their shareholders or they can buy back stock or so, some companies will do both um so that's um that's the second thing and then the third thing is this issue around valuation and uh, mm. as i say i i would draw a big distinction between uh, what a company like Next did, which was buying back very undervalued stock versus mm-hmm. um, what the US technology companies are doing today, which is basically um, they issue, they they pay their staff in share options. Right. Um, and then what they're doing is they're basically buying back that stock um, using shareholders' money to stop mm. the dilution in the in the share count. And, and they're buying back what are potentially very overvalued shares mm. so um so valuation is the last thing you know you you only buy back stock if you're buying back um what are, what are undervalued shares right that that would make sense to me yeah um and so for um what you talked a bit about cyclical stocks earlier. Yes. So what are some other examples of cyclical stocks that have produced attractive long-term returns? Yes. Um, I, th- I think the, the, the sort of general point that we we're making here is that people become too worried about cyclicality. Um, and ironically, actually, if, if you are a contrarian investor, a cyclical downturn can be a fabulous time to buy shares because what people do is that they overreact to what is ultimately um, going to be a temporary decline in earnings. So, um, you know, when we go into an economic downturn, the earnings of a business might go down for one or two years, might it? Um, 
what you've got to try and think about is to what extent does that change the long run value of the business? And, mm-hmm. and actually, the answer is it doesn't. It really doesn't. And we we often will get people to to do an exercise where we say to them, look, just just, you know, string string a load of tens across a, uh, a an Excel spreadsheet to do a net present value of it. Um, and see what the figure comes up with, and, and now delete the first two columns. So basically, what you're simulating is is an economic downturn. So you're simulating earnings going to zero for two mm-hmm. years, and then look what happens to the net present value. And I'll give you the answer. The net present value goes down by about ten percent. So in other words, right. it, it, even if you had two years of earnings going to zero, it really doesn't change the long run value of the business. And yet, you know exactly what happens in the stock market. In the stock market, if a company's earnings went to zero for two years. The share price is going down very, very significantly, and so, and so, basically, investors overreact to what is a temporary problem because they they tend to extrapolate it. So, so in other words, when when earnings go down, they they kind of think they're going to stay down, and they can't. They at that, at that point in time, they can't see how they're going to recover. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, ne- I mean, at the risk of going on about next too much. Next is just an amazing example of this in. Um, in the financial crisis, the share mm-hmm. price of Next went from £25 to £8 in a year. Right. And, and that's amazing because, um, and by the way, the, 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 in the period after that, it went from 8 to 80 Wow. So that was, that was an amazing buy-in opportunity. And that's, that's, a sort of, that's an example of, um, of people overreacting to you know, what was, in that case, a temporary phenomenon. Let's remind ourselves, you know, Next was not a bank. It was not going bust. It was, it was a retailer, a very good retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, Going back to your question about examples of other um, businesses, uh, which are you know cyclical businesses, which which have done well. Again, people might people might sort of balk at this because it's very topical at the moment. But but some banks actually have been very good long term investments. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, so if you you know people people will um, I know everyone out there would have heard of of Warren Buffett. Some of his most successful investments have been banks. He owns mm-hmm. an American bank called Wells Fargo. You know. He, yes. Yeah. Had an investment in American Express. These are all cyclical businesses, but it, but in the long run, they were all sound businesses that were able to grow. It's just that their earnings go down during an economic cycle. And going mm. back to my original point, that you know that that temporary reduction in earnings really doesn't change the long run value of the business. Mm-hmm. What it does, what it does do, is 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 probably provide you with an opportunity to uh, to buy things cheaply. Um, let me give you a, a, a more recent example. Uh, when we went into the pandemic and we, mm-hmm. and we, and we locked down, uh, the share price of NatWest Bank, which was the old Royal Bank of Scotland, it yeah. fell to a, a lower point in 2020 than it did in 2008 when the government had to step in and, and basically bail it out. Right. Just, Despite the fact that you know the business was in a much much better state, had a much stronger balance sheet, totally different manage, management, um, uh, uh, but but people would people just overreacted to that you know and, and panicked frankly about the the pandemic and lockdown, drove the share price down you know very very significantly and of course it, you know it ended up being a fabulous buying opportunity because the the share price recovered very very strongly in the in the following couple of years so. Mm-hmm. This is a pattern that's repeated time and time again. That people will sell down anything cyclical. It can be mining companies, energy companies, retailers, uh, financial services companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, during a you know during um, a cyclical downturn, mm-hmm. and 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 so long as there's a reasonable chance of, of an economic recovery, and you know most most economic downturns do recover eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it normally ends up being a good buying opportunity. 
Right. So I would assume that currently now, you know, with, um, you know, high inflation and, you know, high interest rates, now would possibly be also a good time to kind of pinpoint these. Exactly right. Exactly right. So um, people are doing exactly the same as they did in 2020 and 2008 and Mm. etc., which is that they... You know, just just go and pick up, you know, pick up today's newspapers and today's newspaper is just full of gloom and doom, isn't it? Yes. About, uh, inflation and interest rates and, uh, you know, we, um, you know, we're going to go into recession and, mm. and yada, yada, yada. The thing is, share prices look forward, not backwards. So share prices have already reacted to that. The fact that it's in the newspapers today, it's been, it's been in the stock market for kind of six months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. So if you look at what are the cheapest shares in the stock market today, they are all cyclically orientated um, companies. So they are things like, um, you know, retailers and and, and banks. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, the share price of Barclays today is trading on a price earnings ratio of four times. Um, and I think dividend yield is about 8% or something. Mm. I mean, that's just extraordinary. They're, you know, they're, they're literally a handful of times in my 35-year career that I've seen those sorts of valuations. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, and and yet, it's it's very very hard for people to sort of try and control their emotions and and take a contrarian longer term view and actually use that as an opportunity rather than be worried about it. And and, and believe me, I, I I completely understand. I it is not easy. It's not easy at all to try and you know to try and ignore um all, all those um terrifying headlines in the newspaper. But you just have to remind yourself that. Without those sorts of things, share prices—you you don't get bargains. You, you mm. don't get bar- you don't get bargains when everyone is optimistic. You don't get mm. bargains, when, you know, when everyone is when the economy's um, when the economy's doing well and everyone's positive. You just don't get to buy bargains at that point in time. You get to buy bargains when everyone is, is feeling miserable and concerned. Right, right. I mean, that's a really good point to make because obviously like you're saying you know you see all of these headlines you see the news constantly giving you that doom and gloom which is i get it from a media perspective that's what sells like misery sells sometimes but um i feel like for our audience you know as financial advisors they probably have their clients coming to them and being very concerned but what would your um advice be to those financial advisors who want to help their clients kind of identify undervalued cyclical stocks what can they say to their clients i I think they can i think they can say a couple of things um the first one is that there are you know there there are all sorts of studies that show that if you buy lowly valued shares the subsequent returns are higher than than Mm. than if you buy highly valued shares Um, you can use all sorts of people, Dimson, Marsh and Staunton, Farmer and French, you know, that all sorts of people have produced the same sorts of studies that lowly value shares produce good returns in the long run and highly value shares don't. And and that shouldn't be of a, a, a surprise to most people. So that, that's kind of point number one. Point number two, I guess I would just try to, it was a financial advisor, I would just try to reiterate the point that I was making a couple of minutes ago, which is that you, you don't get those sorts of bargains unless there is, you know, unless people are, scared or fright or, or, or you know uncertain about about the environment and mm-hmm. um, you know if, 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 if i if i showed you you know our, our portfolio over the long term has has produced very very good returns for our investors um, mm-hmm. significantly higher than the uk index if i showed you our portfolio in um 
2008, right in the middle of the financial crisis, you know, mm-hmm. most, most people would have felt sort of slightly nauseous after looking at it. We, we <laughs> literally were buying, we were buying all the banks, we were buying the house builders, all, all the beaten down shares. Uh, and, you know, mo- most, most people, if they were reading the headlines and then looking at our portfolio, they'd think, are you crazy? You know, do you not realize we're in the middle of a financial crisis? And of course, yes, we did realize that, but but it, but but so did everyone else. And that and it, and it was that that was providing you with the opportunities by lowly valued shares. So, I just just always try and remind yourself of that of that fact that um, it's it, it, it's it's only when people feel uncomfortable um, that that you get the chance to buy these bargains. And 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 what makes people uncomfortable? Things like recessions. Think mm. that make that does make people feel uncomfortable. But, the, the the newspaper headlines talking about inflation, high interest rates, et cetera, et cetera. That makes people feel uncomfortable in it. And it's that that, that, that produces the opportunities by lowly value shares. Right. Um, so finally, um, how do you think advisors can help um, their clients make informed decisions when they are um, talking about allocating capital? Um, I, I always think that the where I would start would be um, look at what's worked in the past. So um, I said to you a few minutes ago that there are all sorts of studies which prove that, you know, if you buy lowly value shares repeatedly, it generates high returns. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would say that, that that was a good starting point. Go and go and look at what's worked in, in, in investing in the past. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you and if you and if you're replicating that now, then that should make people feel comfortable. What what should make them feel uncomfortable would be when you're doing stuff that that frankly hasn't worked in the past. It might might have worked just recently, but if if it hasn't if it hasn't got a long term record of working, so I don't know buying growth stocks, buying quality stocks, uh, buying bonds yielding like one percent or something. You know these are things which historically haven't generated good returns for investors, mm-hmm. e- even if they might have done very very recently. And so. I would always tend to default back to that. To if you, if you can, if you can have your money allocated in 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 uh, in, in areas or or at least valuations that have historically generated good returns, then then I would say that's a really good starting point. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Ian. Um, it was very pleasure. interesting hearing those case studies. That's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.